Sports Yak. One host knows sports. And who's right there? The other doesn't know sports, but somehow they meet in the middle. Corey Mann. Get your big butt out of here. And Indiana Sports Broadcast Hall of Famer. This one will be relived. Chuck Freebie. Forever. Do you like sports? Because we like sports. Let's talk about sports. It's Sports Yak. Sports Yak. It's Sports Yak. At Sif Pop. We're your movie friends. And are friends really friends if you don't know them? So grab a popcorn and head over to our row so we can chat movies. Like friends do. There's always room for more movie friends. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome. 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 To the writer's room. Hello and welcome to the pop writer's room. I'm your host Aaron, but not Aaron. Uh, Wow. I'm just going to start that over. (laughs) I'm Aaron, but not Aaron. Hello and welcome to Sip Pop Writer's Room. I'm your host, Aaron, but not that Aaron, of course. Today I'm joined by Sip Pop Writer, Robert. Aaron, if this thing's but <laughs> I guess we each get a mulligan at the start of the show. <laughs> yeah. Hello and welcome to Sip Pop Writer's Room. I'm your host, Aaron, but not that Aaron, of course. And today I am joined by not just Sip Pop Writer, but also SipPop.com editor, Robert. Aaron, if this thing blows up, the feds will be the least of our problems. Oh, nice pick. Nice pick. Thank you. Well, uh, we write and edit for SifPop.com, providing you movie reviews, best ever challenges, and other interesting movie-related articles. So make sure you check out the website, SifPop.com, to keep up with those. On today's show, we'll talk about a coming attraction, uh, give our thoughts on uh, things coming out soon. We got uh, Tom Clancy's Without Remorse coming April 30th to Amazon Prime. Uh, that's a uh, movie, by the way. Uh, and uh, The Bad Batch, uh, the new animated Star Wars series coming to Disney Plus on May 4th. Uh, when we're done talking about those, we'll move on to the SIF topic. Uh, we'll talk about some goats, the sting, and the untouchables. Uh, and then we'll explore the B-plot, answering a question I made up based off of last month's question. Um, and we'll wrap up with a spinoff. But uh, let's get a chance to know, re-familiarize ourselves with, uh, with our writer this week. Uh, Robert, we get, tired of me now. <laughs> Robert, we get to talk about TV a lot. Um, oh, by the way, congratulations on your Red Sox for annihilating my White Sox today. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, we took the series two for two, so we'll, we'll count yeah, that it's, as a, it's a nice split. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but uh, uh, we get to talk a lot about movies on this, um, and yes. uh, and I get to talk about TV once a month. But I'm curious, like, what are what is like deliberately your favorite movie uh, TV show of all time? But like a couple honorable mentions. Um, if like, what, what is your sense for what you like to watch on the small screen? Um, you want me to just say my number one? Uh, yeah, I mean, go for it. My number one is definitely Parks and Rec. Yes. Um, because I, I don't know if I've talked about it on this podcast. I don't know. I've talked on too many podcasts now, but <laughs> I prefer when it comes to TV, I prefer sitcoms and good sitcoms. Okay. Um, like I've never seen like The Wire or The Sopranos and stuff along those lines, um, just because if I'm gonna watch something long, I want to watch a movie. So I tend to gravitate towards sitcoms, and I think far and away the best sitcom, at least the best modern sitcom, I can't speak for older stuff, um, is Parks and Rec. I can watch that one endlessly. I have watched it endlessly. Um, I love each and every one of the characters. There's not a single one that I wish there was less screen time of. I hate Tom. Um, I I completely disagree. I love That's fine. Tom. I have have heard so much. And Mark Brandanowitz is is I would say if he had more screen time, but he. Right. That's what I was about to say too. Is that 
it gets off to a slow start in the first season, but fortunately that's only six episodes because I think it almost never loses its rhythm the rest of the way. Yeah. Um, I think the final season is maybe half a step down because I'm not a huge fan of the time jump forward. But other than that, well, Parks that, and Rec is it, perfect to me. That last season is still better than most TV seasons. Yeah, so. yeah. I'm just thinking of like up to its own standards. I mean, it does have the highest rated episodes on there and my personal favorite episode. Uh, the Leslie and Ron episode is the highest mm-hmm. rated episode. My personal favorite is, is the uh, the Johnny Karate super awesome amazing ex- musical explosion show episode. Um, it's a good one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, man. Yeah. Parks and Rec uh, definitely is my favorite of the like modern, um, modern sitcoms. Um, um, yeah. I, 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 Scrubs is my favorite comedy, but, um, but yeah, I'd take uh, Scrubs or I'd take a Parks and Rec over The Office or Modern Family. Yeah. Or I know you're a big community fan. Um, Parks and Rec yeah, is still mostly. way better. Uh, you're a fan of the first couple seasons, at least. <laughs> first couple, I never even finished it because once Chevy Chase and um, Donald Glover left, I, it completely fell off a cliff and then blew up and then fell off another cliff yeah. and blew up three more times. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, any other one, any other ones you want to mention? Yeah. Um, Modern Family is a close second for me because that's the first sitcom that I really ever got into, and it's still near and dear to my heart and i still think it has like a high ratio of quality jokes per minute Hmm. um but the problem for me is that it once the kids start growing up it kind of loses its quality they don't really have the same kind of chemistry with the entire cast that they did at the beginning Hmm. so whereas parks and rec i think is just about perfect from beginning to end modern family kind of takes a slight decline. So would you um, recommend that I like stop after a certain point whenever I get around to Modern Family? Like watch like... I wouldn't necessarily recommend you stop. Okay. Um, I don't... Like it's never terrible. It's just like you're watching some episodes and you sit there thinking, I remember when this used to be so much better. Um, okay. Yeah. I also mentioned Game of Thrones and Lost. Game of Thrones would have been my my answer from the beginning if it had nailed the last season or two. But it didn't. But we don't need to talk about that. Man, I, I, I don't know if you saw my tweet yesterday, but I saw somebody comment on Facebook that Zack Snyder should have taken over season eight Game of Thrones. Oh. And I just I threw up in my mouth a little bit. That was the worst <laughs> thing I've ever heard in my entire life. No, no. the problem <laughs> with season eight of Game of, Game of Thrones wasn't the visuals. Right. And that's what Snyder does well. Right. Yeah. So, And there was like a bunch of people agreeing with him. I'm like, you're all like part of a cult <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh i would like to throw a recommendation for you if you haven't seen um i think you would really enjoy the league uh, the league yes i don't know if i've ever even heard of that so it was an fx sitcom um okay. but it's uh, you know so sitcom you know in the same way that parks and rec and the office are um it's not yeah. that mockumentary style it's just no laugh track and not live studio audience and all that um it's on hulu because it was an fx show um yep. it stars mark duplass um, and it stars uh, uh, John LaJoy, who is probably most known for the YouTube sensation Show Me Your Genitals, um, <laughs> <laughs> if you remember middle school. Um, uh, also has uh, Nick Kroll. This is where he got his start. Um, and also uh, there's another actor that I can't remember. He's on Children's Hospital for a little bit. Um, he uh, This is kind of where he got his start as well. I can't remember his name, but he's a really funny guy. Um, also, uh, a couple female uh, leads, uh, Katie Asselton in there. She's really great. Um, 
this uh it, it's about it's just about a bunch of people that play fantasy football and like as somebody that doesn't care about football uh let right. alone fantasy football like you really don't need to know hardly anything about the sport to enjoy the show but if you do happen to know it then i'm sure it's an extra level of fun but i, I really love that show Cool. Um, oh, and it's and it's where it um, the guy uh, uh, the guy that plays Dennis Feinstein. Um, what's his? Oh, name? Jason Manzukis. Yeah, Jason Manzukis is where he got his start. He plays okay. a character named Rafi, and he is just a wild card. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds right up his alley, though. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So anyway, so I would. So it sounds like it's a little bit of the Big Mouth crew before they got yeah big yeah yeah. I mean, there's no Mulaney, but yeah, um, unfortunately. Right, uh, I, yeah, um, yeah. This, it, it's 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 so hilarious, um, and in general, I think it has some good storytelling, and it has really big jokes that pay off really well. So, <laughs> cool. I've never even heard of it till now, so I will have to give it a look. Nice, yeah. Give it like one episode, and like, be warned, it's it's TVMA um, for a reason. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there you go. Um, and then one more sort of random question that I got for you. Uh, look, oh, I, yeah. this is uh, maybe a little bit sensitive for some people, but um, right. I think also then timely, but if you, uh, what would, what would be the best part of having no sense of smell? <laughs> Let's say like, cause like that's a symptom of COVID and like, some, oh. there are still people that have not gotten over their loss of taste or loss of smell. And it's just like, yeah, having never gotten COVID um, at least that I'm aware of. Um, right. but, uh, yeah, what would, what would be the best part about having no sense of smell? The best part of having no sense of smell. Um, uh, I can't think of anything that doesn't have to do with farts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Insert fart joke. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe I don't have to worry about smelling the weed in my apartment complex. <laughs> I I really don't have a good answer. Mm. Um, maybe since smell is kind of related to taste, I could I and I'm a picky eater. I I would maybe widen my my diet a bit. Mm. So yeah, I I would just say, and uh, this is my whole thing for like, look, when COVID's done, I'm not getting rid of my like cloth masks. Uh, at least I'll yeah. keep I'll keep a couple, but it's just like. Like in general, like to keep my face warm, and I like that, especially walking around in Iowa. You know, it's a frozen tundra half the year. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, just a general like uh, having a compromised immune system because I have Crohn's disease, and medicine to fix Crohn's diseases makes me immunocompromised. Like you know, like it, I know somebody that says he's sick like every other weekend, but he never got sick at all this year because uh, everybody is wearing masks. Um, right. so just in general that, but also like, I don't know that I'll ever go into a gas station bathroom without a mask anymore. So like, <laughs> That's yeah, a fair point. So I'll use that as my answer for <laughs> what would be the best thing about having no sense of smell is I wouldn't, I would fear gas station bathrooms slightly less. <laughs> um, so that, that works. It's, it's, are you going into gas station bathrooms often? I don't uh, look, when you have Crohn's disease, you just got to take what's available to you sometimes. And it's really hard being somebody – I wouldn't classify myself as a germaphobe, but I would mm-hmm. classify myself as somebody who likes things clean and neat. And there is oh, never yeah. anything – like especially a bathroom, right? Like I hope that the trash is regularly taken out and the floor isn't sticky. And if there is stuff in the toilet that the person had the courtesy to flush and that none of those things are a guarantee at a gas station bathroom. Have you watched uh, Train Spotting? 
Yeah, no, not yet. Okay. It's on my well, list. Whenever you do, be be warned about okay. dirty bathrooms. <laughs> okay. Uh. This is the way, what you were saying there just thought, made me think of that. All right. Well, let's move on uh, just to our, uh, our coming attractions. Uh, yeah. Let's start off with the movie because it comes out chronologically first. Um, and this is primarily a movie podcast. Primarily. Uh, let's see. We have Rem- Without Remorse coming out uh, on April 30th. This is going to be on Amazon Prime. This was supposed to come out last year around September. Um, it was supposed to be a theatrical release and then because of COVID and all that. And I just, I'm kind of surprised this is a Paramount movie. So I'm kind of surprised it didn't try to get more subscribers to Paramount plus Paramount, yeah. and use it as a, Weird. I mean, maybe they were just like, yeah, but we'll for sure make money. And I don't know. That whole, that whole stream, uh, streaming platform launch has been weird. Like, isn't it the same thing as CBS All Access? It's rebranding just CBS All Access in, in the same way that HBO Max rebranded HBO. Yeah. So adding a few things, but mostly it's the same. Uh, yeah, I mean, everything CBS All Access is coming over. They're going to launch a bunch of new shows. They're incorporating Nickelodeon into it. Um, right. There's the SpongeBob stuff. Yeah. So there's there's that. Um, and I think it's going to anyway. just be more of a hub for some of the Paramount movies. But uh, yeah. I think... Like I, I think CBS is a more recognizable name anyway too, but like, mm-hmm. you know, CBS isn't in the film industry because Paramount is, and you know, so like, like CBS Viacom, and so I think if some, you know, when you see Mission Impossible and you see Paramount, you don't think CBS. So, right. So if you want to watch the movies, Paramount Plus. Uh, anyway, um, so this will be a pro- coming out on Prime on uh, April thirtieth. The <coughs> excuse me, the synopsis for the movie is uh, John Clark, a Navy SEAL, goes on a path to avenge his wife's murder only to find himself inside a larger conspiracy. Robert, um, general thoughts about this movie. Uh, What do you think, uh, on an anticipation level, um, how excited are you about seeing this movie? Would you go catch it opening weekend, wait for a discount night, wait till you can rent it at home, wait till it's on a streaming service you already pay for, or are you just not interested in seeing this movie? Uh, I think this is going to hurt you, but I'm teetering between streaming and not interested. I mean, you, uh, you can say whatever you want and be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> See, I knew you were going to have some sort of reaction like that. Okay. It's because, or maybe I'll let you have your thoughts first and I'll get into it. I, I'm 100% opening weekend all the way. Um, yeah. I actually got an email today that is confirmation that I'll get a screening link on Friday. So um nice. really excited about about being able to check that out um and uh and by the way you can hear my full thoughts on the movie after it comes out um and after i've seen it um on sif pop weekly um the this coming sunday may 2nd um or i guess will this episode no this episode won't have already come out um so um so uh yeah so um yeah, so my my main reasons for this is I'm in love with this character uh, and uh, and the book that it's based off of. Um, John Clark is a is a character in the Tom Clancy novels. He's uh, this is his considered his origin story, but he usually appears as a side character in the Jack Ryan novels. At least some of them, uh, some of all fears, um, clear and present danger. I think maybe Patriot Games, maybe not. Um, but he, so he's the Willem Dafoe character in uh, Clear and Present Danger and the Lee Schreiber character in uh, Some of All Fears. Um, but I really like this character. Jack Jack Ryan is uh, one of my favorite characters too. He's just a little bit more analytical 
and uh, um, John Clark is more of a like act first mentality. Uh, hmm. Not to say he's not smart. Um, he's just like, you hurt me and I'm going to hurt you back as opposed to you hurt me and I'm going to figure out where you are and <laughs> arrest right. you or something. Um, so it's, it's my love for the character. It's my love for Tom Clancy material in general. Um, I also love his, the video games. Um, I've read um, two of his books um, without remorse and rainbow six, which when they announced this movie, they announced the sequel to, and I really hope that going to prime doesn't ruin that plan. Um, but I think there's lots of other reasons to love this uh, movie to for me to get excited about it. And but I'll I'll let you uh, kind of dig into some of your initial thoughts first before getting in there. Sure. Um, yeah, this is just not really my kind of movie. Okay. To be honest, um, it's it's I like Michael B. Jordan, um, Taylor Sheridan. Honestly, other than Hill or High Water, I'm not a huge fan of his. Sicario is probably my least favorite. Uh, Villeneuve wow. movie and I just wasn't a fan of Wind River mm. and I know I'm in the minority on a lot of this yep or on all of this um yep except for my love of hell, hell hell or high water but yeah it's just when the writer and the lead or I like the lead but when the writer just doesn't really grab me and uh the genre isn't my thing like I like political thrillers like all the president's men or zero dark 30 or argo but when it's, in a, when it's a political action thriller, that's kind of when it loses me. Um, I've never even seen all of the Clancy stuff just because I've watched the trailers and it just doesn't seem like something I'd really be interested in. So I mean, some of them are really worth watching. Some of them are not. <laughs> yeah, I, I've that's what I've heard. But at the same time, like I'm kind of at a point where I want to watch stuff that I want to watch and okay. stuff that I'm interested in. So this isn't like me saying, I can't believe you're interested in this or anything like that. It's just, this is my personal preference. So sure. that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. Um, I, so I'm just the opposite on, uh, on all that you're right. saying, actually. Um, so like, I mean, Michael B. Jordan here, I think uh, I love Michael B. Jordan. Um, I, I don't know that I would have picked him for this role, but I'm happy um, because I really mm-hmm. like him. Um, and uh and that's great. Uh, Jody Turner Smith playing um, Karen Greer. Um, it, uh, I think she's a great actress. Um, see, uh, I haven't seen Queen and Slim, but I've heard, uh, and from the clips I've seen. Oh, that's where that. I recognized her from. Yeah, uh, I was trying to think. I thought there was something else that I recognized her from, but maybe not. Just but clips from Queen and Slim. I, she looks great. Um, she's I, good in that. Yeah. And I recognize the names. Like that's also a good thing. Uh, I mean, Guy Pierce. Love me some Guy Pierce. Uh, Jamie Jamie Bell's fine, um, uh, yeah, but he's not going to get me to go see a movie or not, um, right? So, yeah, uh, and then uh, for for the Taylor Sheridan stuff, I mean, the um, the um, I, I really like Wind River. I'm probably not as high as it on most people, or as most people are, but I really like it. Um, I think it's really good. I think most people would put it maybe just under hell or high water. And I'm like, there's, there's a significant difference in these two. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I love Sicario as well. I probably put Sicario in the middle of those two. Um, pr- again, probably not as high as everybody else. Um, and, uh, and, and Taylor Sheridan also wrote the sequel to Sicario, which I think is much better than people get it, cre- give it credit for. Um, so that gets me excited uh, that Taylor Sheridan's writing has been pretty flawless so far. And I haven't seen Yellowstone, but I know that's been like a lot of a lot of claims surrounding that. 
Uh, and then the director for this movie was the director that did Sicario 2, Stefano Salima. And uh, again, I really like Sicario 2. So, um, so there's that. Uh, so just lots, lots of things uh, work in work in this direction my way. Uh, my my really mm-hmm. only negative is I think that the story is so good. Um, from um, uh, the book, uh, and this looks like it's just going to be like a relatively basic um, plotline. And if you look on IMDb, the first trivia says this plot has nothing to do with the novel, with the exception that John Clark was a Navy SEAL, um, and like. So I then don't. Why call it? So my guess. Well, my guess is this: just somebody wrote this in there, obviously having not seen the movie, um, right? And 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 like all we've seen is a trailer, and like maybe they're just trying to hold off on some stuff. But in the book, the plot is he he lost his wife to a car accident, and then a couple years later, like catches himself in a vulnerable place and hooks up with a with a girl he likes to find out that she lives at some sort of like sex trafficking house and mm. uh and then gets murdered and then goes and kills everybody while also being tasked with a an a mission for him to come back as a navy seal and um it's 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 an awesome plot it's got great character development going throughout it um uh really it's a great setup for the character but um i i hope that there is some sort of uh some sort of resemblance of the plot to, to match here. Uh, Cause it would be, a, it would be a shame to, to waste that. Um, it'd be a sh- uh, and, and like, but, but also at the same time, I understand like if you were to take the plot of the book um, and the way that it is in the book, this would really have to be a mini series. So, That's fair. Which, which I thought the same thing about rainbow six. If you really want to make it true to the book or, or the games or really, if you want to make it work really well, like I think, I think a mini series is the way to go. So I, I would not mind if they did a, a John Clark TV series the same way that they did the Jack Ryan one and have like season one be without remorse and season two be rainbow six and season three be one of his other books. And, but like, you could still like even make a rainbow six spinoff, you know, and just keep that one going. Mm-hmm. Um, I would not be mad about that at all. Um, so, but I, I think there's a lot, like I, said, I think my only downside is just, this looks like a relatively basic plot and, I kind of don't super care about like conspiracy soldier movies anymore. <laughs> right. That's what my big hang up was. Like I watched the trailer before we started recording and then yeah. it was just all the jargon. It's like they're after you. There's who's really the bad guy. It's just like all the stuff I've heard a million times in a million movies. And yeah, I'm like, yeah, like there's not much to my thoughts on this other okay. than, Michael B. Jordan, I like him, but the other people, not so much. Yeah, I, I will say that my my thoughts on how excited I am about the movie did dip a little bit um, after I saw the trailer. Um, but I still think That's the action bad. looks really cool from the trailer. So See, I, I should have mentioned that too. Uh, that's the one thing I did think. All right, this this does look good. Yeah. I might just watch this for the action. Right, and like you know, there's a difference between watching some of these random like like take take a movie like Shooter for example. It's just okay. There's nothing mm-hmm. really spectacular about it. It's watchable, um, you know. But you got your conspiracy, you know, one man on the run, and the, um, you know, the decently shot action. But like, if you can make it something special, like some John Wick style action in there, like you automatically immediately elevate your movie. So, right. Um, yeah. So hopefully, hopefully this, uh, you know, takes takes some notes from John Wick, Atomic Blonde. Uh, nobody and I, I like I said trust the director I think Sicario 2 was was really well done so. nice 
On a probably lighter subject, uh, The Bad Batch. Um, this was announced uh, shortly after these episodes premiered uh, of Season 7 of The Clone Wars, the final season. Um, but The Bad Batch follows an elite... Um, uh, a group of elite and experimental clones uh, as they make their way through the gal- through an ever-changing galaxy in the immediate aftermath of the Clone Wars. So the Bad Batch introduced in the first four episodes of Season 7 of the Clone Wars. They are essentially defective clones, um, but they use their defects to their advantages. And um, this looks like it's just going to take place right as the Clone Wars um, uh, ends, since that is the you know, end of the Clone Wars and all the Jedi are dead and there is no hope in the world. Um, yes. So uh, I, I, my guess is, uh, is that this, our anticipation just relies on how much we like the clone wars. So, um, it, you know, if, if you, uh, if you really I, like the clone wars, then you probably will, I, or at least these four, ep- the four episodes of the bad batch ones. So right. um, if this were a movie, um, how, how soon do you think you'd be getting to see it? Same scales before. Um, pretty, again, pretty, pretty close to not interested. Okay. Uh, I don't want to be the grumpy guy on the episode today, but I love Clone Wars and I love Rebels and I love first season of Mandalorian. Um, but I thought the Bad Batch, the first two arcs in the final season of the Clone Wars, like with those two sisters with Ahsoka Mm -hmm. and the Bad Batch, I just wasn't interested in those at all. Okay. Until we got to the Darth Maul stuff at the end of that season, or yeah, th- that season. That's when I really was like, "All right, this is what I wanted to see." Um, so when I heard a show based on the Bad Batch, I was like, "Oh, you mean those characters that I just couldn't wait till they were on well, to the next arc?" All right, hold on. How much of this was you knew this was the final season, and you really just wanted them to get to that last arc? Like how much? It, um, how much of it was like you're wasting your time? Get to that. It was definitely part of it, but at the same time, all the stuff that I liked the most in the Clone Wars was anything that had to do with the characters like Anakin and Obi-Wan and Ahsoka. Okay. Um, I wasn't always super interested in like the clone-centric episodes. Okay, so I have a I have a mixed history with the Clone Wars. I've talked about it quite a bit on the TV catch-up. Like, I really don't like most of the episodes, uh, and so mm-hmm. I eventually had to stop watching all of them and just skim to the arcs that people regard well enough that they would rate decently high on IMDb. And um, but but I really do like the Bad Batch episodes. Uh, so like, mm-hmm. uh, I for the most part don't don't I would rather the Jedi stories than the clone stories um, for 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 the Clone Wars series. But um, but when it gets to like nine's story arc with the order 66 going off early like that's an incredible um incredible arc and then that almost leads directly into the bad batch and uh um i i really loved that four episode arc um i I thought it was uh something special i mean it the the characters are unique enough uh and they set themselves apart as just other clones then and like i get that some of the clones do that as well throughout the series like cody and rex and all them um uh but i said nines earlier fives um yeah i was sorry trying to think it's fine. sorry fives um but uh how dare i star wars mob is coming for you <laughs> i corrected myself get off my back um <laughs> Uh, but the I I really liked those four episodes and uh, and I I am for sure looking forward to these. If this was just in general more Star Wars 
old uh you know Rep- uh, new republic era like uh um uh, like rebels like i'm probably somewhere along the lines of where you are uh, but because it's uh, because it's the Bad Batch, because I really like those episodes, I'm probably closer to like a, a matinee a discount night, um, like a high end of a discount night. Um, yeah. Nothing I need to super get around to, but I am excited to see it. So. See, for me at this point, I'm just way so far past burnout on Star Wars stuff. Mm. Um, okay. Like after season two of The Mandalorian. I was just like, all right, I need to take a little bit of a break. Just, all right. Just for a lot of reasons. Um, at this point, like, I'm into the Obi-Wan show 100% just because that's my era of Star Wars. Like, when I grew up, the prequels were what I would watch the most. Um, and then I mentioned I love Rebels. So I'll be watching the Ahsoka, uh, the Ahsoka show, and hopefully that incorporates Ezra. Hopefully. And all that kind of stuff. So that's what I'll be into. But other than that, like the Patty Jenkins movie and uh, even the Ryan Johnson trilogy. Rogue Squadron? Yeah, Rogue Squadron and Bad Batch and Boba Fett and Mandalorian Season 3. All this is just... It's getting too Marvel for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and not that I dislike Marvel because I like what Marvel's doing right now. It's just I wish they were doing it different ways with Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Again, I'm not going to begrudge anyone who well, likes it. But I like how with uh, with Disney doing all this stuff, like I like how they're still kind of going all throughout the timeline, um, whereas Marvel is pretty much all just current stuff. Um, it, you will have the exception here or there, like the Captain Marvel or the upcoming Black Widow. But like, um, you know, I like how like they're not afraid to be like, yeah, we're going back in prequel territory, and uh, you know, we're, like Obi Wan is obviously in that kind of mid territory that you know, rogue one right. solo territory. Like I appreciate how not everything is just like, yeah, this is all present day. This is all even Mandalorian is right after return of the Jedi. And um, yeah, I would love to see that. I, I guess I would maybe it, would, would you be more open if they did like a, a completely new era that hasn't been explored on the TV? Like let's say the old Republic. Um, I don't even know at this point. Okay. Or, or like something I, following a Sith, maybe? For me, it's just filling in the stories that are most compelling to me. Okay. So that's Rebels and um, Obi-Wan really isn't that compelling of a story, but I love the the actor yeah. um, and, and the group that they have going for that, especially with Hayden Christensen coming back. So... If it was if like the if the Obi Wan show didn't exist and if I didn't have that as like a guilty pleasure, the only thing I'd be interested in is seeing the Rebels storyline continued. Okay. Um, at this point, that's fair. I, I'm not at Star Wars burnout yet, um, and uh, I really don't know when I will be. Um, but um, yeah, but if if Marvel has managed to go ten years, sometimes I mean, we're getting four movies this year, like. If there's plus plus the three or four TV shows, like, and I don't know that I'm going to be burnt out at the end of it. Like, I feel like maybe it's just time for Star Wars to explore some new eras. Um, well, that's and, Marvel's thing, you know, is that they do a million movies a year right, and now shows. Right. Um, Star Wars is. I'm I'm not trying to be like the gatekeeping. You can only do one movie every three years or anything like that. <laughs> it's just it's just like the way I've consumed it lately. Yeah, well, that's and- where I'm at. I mean, I appreciate that they're still trying to do different things. Like, you know, Mandalorian yeah. up until season two didn't even have a Jedi in it. 
Um, and that's why I liked Mandalorian and, and season the, one. And, and the focus isn't on the Jedi anytime. Um, I guess unless you count Grogu as a Jedi, but he's not trained yet. So, um, uh, <clears throat> but the uh, the um, you know, this rogue squadron is supposed to be like the pilots in the re- rebellion, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, like, I, I thought that's what Rogue One was pitched at, but uh, pitched as, um, and I was excited for that, even though I don't really care about like racing movies or things like that. I think pod racing is probably the worst part of the. <laughs> Of the whole franchise to start with. Watch your mouth. <laughs> I love now this racing. is pod racing. <laughs> I just I don't nothing about races excite me. So when you say yeah, oh, it's fair. it's just racing with weird vehicles on a desert planet that's probably New Mexico, you know, um, not going to get me excited. You know. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. So I think a lot of this just depends on how. How into Star Wars and specifically this era of Star Wars you are, and how well you responded to those first four episodes, and I responded really well. Uh, apparently, you didn't, um, but yeah, yeah. The last thing I'll say is that what compels me most about Star Wars is like the Force as a religion, and that's why Ahsoka mm. always compels me so much. Yeah, um, and it's not necessarily like the battles and war of it all. It's like the spiritual aspect of it that that always gets to me. Yeah. So that's why Bad Batch just is kind of whatever for me. Okay. Well, and I'm going to... But I think I'll still watch it. That's like... Yeah. I'm not saying I'm going to sit it out. It's just I'm not... Yeah. I'm not going to be like watching it as soon as it releases on streaming. Sure. And I, uh, I, I'm also going to choose to elect to ignore um, the thing that really hurt me, which is when you said you didn't really care about Ryan Johnson's upcoming trilogy. And uh, <laughs> I'm going to... I'm going to just ignore that you ever said that um well if if there wasn't so much star wars stuff up until then like i love ryan johnson yeah, I know. and i love last jedi i just wish that i well, wasn't so burnt I, out on star wars so, so that's why i'm more excited because i feel like he did something fresh and original with the franchise and i feel like that's what it needs and you know they gave him one movie and his message was let the past die kill if you have to you have to move on and and like do something new and do something bold and do something brave. And if he's going to get three movies to do that, like, <laughs> you know, yeah, away uh, from legacy characters so that all the fanboys right. don't get all upset. Right. Right. So, um, I yeah. And then Rose that... is the main character of those. Huh? I hope Rose is the main character. <laughs> of those. Oh yeah. I hope he just takes a completely unexplored timeline and yeah, I, I, Again, would not would not mind if if the trilogy was uh, either somebody becoming a Sith, kind of like Anakin, uh, or or if it was uh, just focused on the Sith. You know, I would like some of you know antagonist perspective um, for my Star Wars movies, just to get something. You know, what we've never had in Star Wars is uh, murder mystery. <laughs> Knives Out sequel is actually is actually yes. the Star Wars sequels. <laughs> yes, that's exactly oh, what I want. Nice. <laughs> Well, if one person can make it work, it's that man. Uh, the 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 last thing I'll say about this, <laughs> the last thing I'll say about this is that I I just think that um, this is uh this will be my first time being able to watch um, the animated Star Wars content in real time with people because I wasn't caught up oh, nice. at season seven, and in hindsight, I would have just started watching season seven live anyway. Mm. But uh, um, but yeah, this will be my first time being able to be involved in those conversations on Twitter and all that. I'm excited about that. So 
Cool. On that note, let's move on. We got some goats to talk about. And as Robert mentioned before, he said he had practically nothing to say about them, and we should talk about it. We you know we could talk about them pretty quickly, but of course we're going to talk about them for a while because <laughs> that's, that's just how, how it goes on the show. Yeah. Uh, I assured him. I think one of these will be very short. Um, let's start with the Sting, uh, since we talked about Redford Newman uh, last time. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, not streaming anywhere. So uh, at least that I could find. It's a 1973 movie. Synopsis is uh, like, super simple, but two grifters team up to pull off the ultimate con. That's what IMDb had listed. And like, I'm kind of for if you're having some sort of like con con artist set up that you you know be as vague as possible. So I'm mm-hmm. okay with that. Um, let's see a little bit of history why this is included. This has an 8.3 on IMDb, which by the way makes it the 112th highest rated film of all time. This is an 83 on Metacritic and 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. This was nominated for uh, sound uh, for the at the Oscars, cinematography, and lead actor with Robert Redford. Uh, and this won uh, Best Music, Original Scoring, Song, Score, and or Adaptation. Um, very wordy thing. And this won Editing. This also won Costume Design, Art and Set Direction, Original Screenplay, Director for George Rory Hill, and Best Picture. So lots of Oscar wins here. Uh, this won the Directors Guild of America uh, Directors Guild of America Award for Outstanding Directional Achievements in Motion Pictures um, in the year that it came out. Uh, and on the AFI, it was only nominated three different times uh, for 100 Years, 100 Movies, 100 Years, 100 Laughs, 100 Years, 100 Heroes and Villains. Uh, the villain being Doyle Lonigan uh, nominated. There was a stage musical adaptation that premiered off-Broadway on March 18, 2008. And uh, for you uh, media collectors, this is releasing on 4K Ultra High Definition on May 18th of this year. So kind of timely um, because this will be the last Goats episode before that comes out. Um, Yeah. uh, Robert, did you have any history with this one? So I don't know if you remember reading my Inception retrospective. um, I do. Last summer because I was 14 when Inception came out and my dad was always trying to say like be careful about going to spend money on a movie ticket because people are saying that inception you don't understand it and when i was a kid there's this movie that my dad warned me i wasn't gonna understand and then i fell asleep when i watched the movie and that movie was the sting oh um, okay so that was my only uh my only exposure to the movie the sting for a long time until i started getting more into movies i was like this isn't like a like an inception type it's just a crime thriller um so yeah that's my background with it so it was always just like my dad talked about this movie i better watch it at some point because he mentioned it in the same breath as inception even though it has nothing to do with inception yeah um so yeah there was my so is this your first time watching it yeah okay uh pretty similar actually uh this is a film my dad loves uh, and my dad really only loves like six or seven films um <laughs> and like is content watching those for the rest of his life uh, he he likes those like he likes sherlock holmes stuff uh and he likes old <laughs> western specifically john wayne stuff and like i think his, i think his favorite john wayne stuff is the stuff that nobody talks about anymore you know just the you know mediocre stuff that he used to just put out 16 of in a year and uh right. <laughs> um but uh, he uh, he and and then he he likes the sting. Uh, I I just know that he has watched this one several times. And for my dad to watch a movie more than once is, um, yeah, 
uh, he could not care less about most movies, but he cared about The Sting. And uh, I, I think maybe it put that off for me for a while, um, just because I was like, all right, well, this is a movie that my dad really loves. And my dad only likes, you know, typically not great movies, at least movies that I'm not interested in watching. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I just, but he loves A Clockwork Orange. So, uh, I mean, he's got, I love A Clockwork Orange too. Um, that's a weird one to throw in there i know right john wayne and this thing <laughs> well and i just remember because like we uh we went to the uh this dvd resale store back home and just he it seemed like for like he was always hunting to try to find a copy of a clockwork orange and weird yeah and it was i think eventually he got one and it was, Good I, I was like all right like and eventually i watched it when i found out it was kubrick and was doing some of his movies like yeah like i love this one too so mm-hmm. um it's good yeah um so is so this your first time seeing this is thing? my first time seeing this i actually have owned this movie for like probably like 10 15 years because oh, wow. when i signed up for an ultraviolet account this was one of those that like hey you can pick like five free movies out of these 10 and so i picked like lethal weapon and this one and then just like three other like a oh, psycho this uh psycho this one a lethal weapon and like three other two others that were just like i've heard of this one so that's something <laughs> Like right. I think enemy of the state and <laughs> behind enemy lines or something like that. Uh, uh, or, or um, the big trouble in little China. Like, mm. so I've had this movie for a while, but again, just because it was like, Oh, my dad really loves this one. I don't, I, I was never really excited to see it. Um, so, uh, but, I, but I got excited because like 8.3 on IMDb, like we've got a lot of props yeah. and yeah, I, we, neither of us loved Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid, but I, really liked them together i would like to see more stuff them together um so that takes us into this robert uh actually after watching this now do you like this movie love it hate it dislike it or think it's just okay um i don't know i'll say low side of liked it because i didn't dislike it but i didn't i definitely didn't love it either i don't know it was a weird experience watching it for me yeah go ahead and say your rating i'm right where you are i'm on the low side i liked it um when i when i watched it first of all now I have to put this caveat in there that I, um, the first time watching it um, was also working on my computer a little bit, getting the legacy stuff pulled up. And so it was kind of pulling me. I had like probably a third of my attention on my computer. Uh, and it just, the movie ended. I was like, Oh, that, that was a movie, but like, that's not an 8.3 on IMDb movie. Um, yeah. And, uh, but then I rewatched it and I was like, uh, like, cause I was like, all right, I really, I really deserve to give this a second shot with my full attention. And, uh, I I rewatched when I pulled out my laptop to the end and I was like, okay, like this is better. Um, but this is not an 8.3 movie. I think I would probably initially would have landed in like low side of it's okay. And now I'm in low side. I liked it. Um, I-, I think it's smart. I think it's clever. Um, I, I have literally four things written down for this movie. <laughs> so, um, this will be, this will be probably pretty quick, which like, I don't know. So, the first thing that I wrote down was what happened to whimsical best picture winners, because in the beginning it's kind of like yeah. fun, like the scene where they scam the guy, like stealing the money, putting it in his pants, and all that kind of yeah. stuff. I was like, oh, this is a fun one. And then I went back to that note later, and I said, I was wrong. It's not whimsical <laughs> because because <laughs> yeah. it gets kind of dark at some points. It- it and has it, a couple of whimsical moments. Like it, right, has, it has its moments, but overall it's not, it's not, it kind of felt like Butch Cassidy and like, this is kind of fun um, for a while, but then it 
stopped for me at least well but i think i feel like butch cassidy kept a constant like low undertone of this is a comedy throughout the whole movie whereas the sting was right. like we want to be a comedy like once every like 25 minutes <laughs> and mm-hmm. like and the rest of it we're going to be like a pretty straightforward serious thing like it's just yeah um i i, I would have liked it to be a little bit more whimsical too but i think that would have take away taken away some of the stakes which to me were never terribly high um, right. I think the best scenes are any time that they're conning Lonigan. Yeah. Um, so I still, I've seen poker movies and seen poker in movies a million times, and I still don't understand it. But I think it's to this movie's credit that it got me like super invested. And that the poker scene when um, he when Lonigan switches out the cards and then. Uh, Paul Newman does also without Lonigan knowing. Yeah. Um, I, that was the most invested in the movie. I was the entire way through. Yeah. hundred um, percent. And then the, the fake horse race scenes, those were also great. Yeah. Uh, so those were definitely my favorite parts of it. But at the same time, I couldn't help but wonder like, why is this guy, the crime boss that everyone's so scared of if, if he's so easily conned? Right. Uh, I, I so it, that's it, that's kind of yeah. I don't know how easy it was to con him. I think the movie made it look easier than it actually was, but but yeah, I never got the feeling like this is the biggest bad. You know, this is uh, I never got the feeling like this is the Al Capone, right? Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, the the first thing I wrote down is uh, I love the score. Um, I really love the music mm-hmm. in this. I think. Uh, it's uh it's 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 fun it's light it's whimsical um it's uh i mean the it's like that old ragtime piano feel to it um and i think it really works um and yeah really loved it uh definitely would consider listening to this uh, a lot more Um, yeah it definitely helps keep the tone light and not go full-on like oh this is a dark movie because there's like guys getting beat up and bloodied in alleyways and stuff like that. Right. Well, men getting killed in their homes. Right. Well, and I had the, uh, the other note I had was that like this setup, like this first half hour of this movie really until we get to Redford and Newman, like it's a super simple setup and I've seen it a million times, but like, I think rarely is the setup this good. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, but like, I don't really know what makes it good. I think it's just good at doing it. It's, it doesn't like try to rush things. It doesn't, make things terribly too long. I feel like a lot of this time that we get like, Oh, this guy was about to be out and now is in, or like this guy had a friend that's in trouble and now he needs to go help him. Or like he was in trouble and he got murdered. And now it's my, you know, like it winds up being something like gone in 60 seconds. Right. Um, yeah. and, and you're just not invested and you're like, but I also didn't come to this movie to get invested in the brother relationship between Nick Cage and Frankie junior, junior. Um, <laughs> Uh, but but you know I, I felt I felt uh, I felt that way um, uh, I, I felt this was really well done um, just the setup I, 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 probably a little long uh, but I kind of understand yeah. I, I I don't know was this the first of its time to do it and it's just a trope to us now like I doubt it but um, but yeah I thought it was effective and I feel like that's kind of my thoughts on a lot of this movie is I've seen a lot of this before but it's still just done really well but I've definitely seen it done better elsewhere. Sure, that's fair. Um, and it's weird that you mentioned that it's it's not weird, but you mentioned that it was it felt long. 
but it was only just over two hours. It's not like, you know. Oh, no, I'm at like the first, like, thir- like, it takes a while for Paul Newman to show up. Well, I was I was going to agree with you is that it like it it feels like a lot of it takes a long time for things to happen. Yeah. Um, like you look at the runtime and you don't feel overwhelmed. Yeah. Like you and I and Shane were talking about Ben Hur last night and you see three hours, 40 minutes and you're like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. But you see two hours, nine and you're like, that's not that bad. Yeah. But then it just felt like I was watching a longer movie. Um, yeah. It, but felt, I did it felt like, like two and a half, two forty five. Right. I did. I did like. Um, that the guy Snyder, the wasn't he like a detective or a cop or something, yeah. Yeah. was following Redford the entire time. That I just liked the added layer of it. Um, sure. So it's not just that they're uh, running from Lonigan; it's he's also being chased after by well, the law. It was. It was. Um, they're going after Lonigan directly, and Snyder the law is going after Redford for the counterfeit bills. Right. As well as there's a whole tertiary group that's going after Redford um, because of the money that they stole from Lonigan. And since Lonigan has no idea this guy's face, he doesn't know that he's getting conned by the same guy that he's after same grifter he's after. So yeah, I kind of liked how it was kind of that, that trifecta of, of there's constantly something to be afraid of or there's constantly something that could take effect at any time and i feel like the whole lonigan's guys going after redford like just kind of died and went nowhere and it was just like oh they failed on one attempt and they're not coming back and it's like what right like, so i feel like that just kind of went away um and i liked how they worked in the snyder thing um to their to their con um to, to to play it to their advantage to make sure everything worked out okay and they would get out scot free and all that. But um, yeah, yeah. I, I'll say it, it was nice to see them walk off in the sunset together after Butch Cassidy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think uh, I think Redford is uh, is the standout in this one, whereas Newman is the standout in Butch Cassidy. Um, That's fair. Yeah, uh, but I think they're still both great and they have good chemistry. Um, they do. I wish they had done some more movies together now. Yeah. Is is this the only two with them as a yeah. pair? Okay. They're the only, it's the only movies they appeared in together. Okay. I was looking at the history and it was essentially the guy that wrote this movie wanted to direct it, but the studios, and he wrote it with Redford in mind, but the studios didn't want to give the writer enough money since he hadn't directed a movie before. And so they, so they hired on Redford and Redford suggested George Roy Hill. And once he got him in the picture, then he was like, well, what if we have Paul Newman be this other character? And then they rewrote the script a little bit for his character to be more Paul Newman-esque. So it wound up being, that's how it happened. It wasn't just like, oh, hey, let's this worked. Let's do it again. I mean, kind of was, but it wasn't as simple. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it wasn't like planned, like, let's do this again. Um, right, right. Yeah, but I, I, I do I do agree with that sentiment. I wish there was more of them together, especially like even if there would have been like a much later as they're as they're like older, um, mm-hmm. you know, like before before Newman passed, so like in early two thousands, uh, would have been really fun to see. Maybe we could fan cast something in, in a future episode with the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, Rope. But I, I will say I, I've I don't think so. I'd only seen Road to Perdition, and oddly enough, Cars with. <laughs> Paul Newman as yeah. a, a credited actor. Oh, okay. um, 
and actually Hudsucker Proxy. But that's not like yeah. where he's doing his Paul Newman thing really in any of those. Um, yeah. So to see Butch Cassidy and to see the Sting, now I'm going to go seek out like Cool Hand Luke and see what other yeah. Paul Newman movies I've gone, uh, I've missed along the way because I like him a lot. Like he's got that that uh, that swagger, uh, yep. that what's the freaking word I'm looking for? Charisma. I think, oh, I was thinking uh, swagger worked perfectly. It, swagger and charisma is, is what I was trying to yeah. get get at. Um, also, young Robert Redford looks like a young. Brad Pitt. Oh, I see that. Yeah, I noticed it a few times. There were a few looks where I was like, "Okay, this could be." I a, see it now. Uh, what is the thing where you switch out their face with the Top scary technology? Oh, um, the uh, deep fake. Yeah, deep fake. They could have been a young Brad Pitt deep fake a couple times. I felt like. Hmm. Cool. I yeah. I, I, I now now that you say that, I'm like yeah. All right. Um. Yeah. By the way, Cool Hand Luke on the list of potential goats maybe that just means we have to bump it up when we make the next schedule make it a yeah. make it a priority um I'm done. yeah uh and i have seen cool hand luke it's just been a while um yeah uh and then like I said, my other note is i really don't have much to say about this movie it's fine uh it's a good movie it's it's smart it's just i i, I can't think of anything necessarily spectacular about it other than the chemistry and the music. Um, this kind of baffles me that it won best picture, uh, but I don't know, maybe it didn't have a lot of competition or uh, may, like maybe this was more original and more fresh when it came out. Um, and like that might do it, but um, I didn't, I didn't feel that. So um, I'm out of things to say. Yeah. I'm, I just want to look now that you say that to see what it was up against, to see if I've seen any of it. Mm. 1973. Yeah, I can't. I can't think off the top of my head what that would be. Best picture: The Sting, A Touch of Class, American Graffiti, Cries and Whispers, and The Exorcist. Oh. So I've only seen American Graffiti. I've never those. seen any of them. Um, and I would have preferred American Graffiti over this. Uh, um, Serpico anyway. came out that year. Soylent Green. Um, Live and Let Die, the original Crazies, the original Westworld, Enter the Dragon. There you go. Take that one. Um, the original Wicker Man, the That's animated Robin Hood. Really good. Uh, the Fox Robin Hood. Yeah, I love it. Uh, Jesus Christ Superstar, uh, Charlotte's okay. Web. Um. <laughs> Bunch of anyway. movies, bunch of movies I've never seen. Uh, oh, uh, how could we forget um, Shaft in Africa? <laughs> in Africa, <laughs> yeah, I've um, never heard of that. Yeah, I, so I don't. Know. I, I'm sure a lot of these are. Uh, there's a lot of movies here that are maybe pretty well, um, pretty well regarded. But uh, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe this was just a weak year. You know, maybe this was like the the year that Crash won Best Picture, and it was like. Yeah. yeah. Uh or well yeah. Brokeback Mountain was that year. Oh. So I didn't realize that off the top of my head. Uh yeah, like I don't know, maybe this is just one of those years where it's like, yeah, I mean there really wasn't much to pull from, so here's uh this and this is a fine movie. Um so um, Right. I think this is just us at this point realizing we have nothing else to say about this thing, so we're just I'm gonna I'm gonna circle around and yeah. <laughs> 
Um, let's see. Uh, is this a goat? No. Yeah. I don't think so. I would put uh, I'd put Butch Cassidy's Sundance Kid before this one. Like, if we really wanted to go for a Newman uh, Redford crossover one, um, I don't remember what I said for that. We, I think we both said no, like a respect, respectable okay. no. This is just a no, and it's like semi-respectable for me. Um, See, not, this is respectable as a movie, but I'm not going to say respectable no in the right, goat category. Right, right. Um, yeah, which is a difference. Um, right. So uh, if we really wanted to put one of the Newman Redfords in there, I would put Butch Cassidy in there before this one. But uh, but I still don't think about. I don't think I want to put that one in there. And um like gosh even like heist movies um or like con movies like inside man um heat um love it love it like yeah like the the if if we really wanted a heist one in there um yeah so the dark knight uh yeah i mean i don't don't think heist is a primary objective but yeah no baby baby driver um so um, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, cool. Uh, I think I do see myself watching this in the future. Uh, same with Butch Cassidy's Sundance Kid. Um, right. Interestingly enough, I'm the same way. Yeah. Mostly because here, here's one of the notes that I here's exactly how I word it in my notes. Anytime they're doing Lonigan, a bamboozle is fun. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, like for sure, that poker scene. I would not. Anytime it comes across YouTube, I'm watching. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, I, I see myself popping this in every now and then, um, you know, if I, if I'm in the mood for this movie or this kind of tone, you know, why not? You can do a lot worse. Right. Uh, but unfortunately it's just, I'm just not gonna, just not gonna add it to my criterion collection, which by the way, criterion has been adding a lot of like new releases. Like they recently announced sound of metal and I saw that one night in Miami and I'm buying both of those for sure. Nice. So uh anyway uh we'll move on to the untouchables um this is streaming on showtime by the way 1987 movie directed by brian de palma synopsis for this movie is during the era of prohibition in the united states federal agent elliot ness sets out to stop ruthless chicago gangster al capone and because of rampant corruption assembles a small hand-picked team to help him a little bit of history about this movie this is a 7.9 on imdb 79 on metacritic and an 83 percent on rotten tomatoes this was nominated for Best Score, Best Costume Design, and Best Art and Set Decora- Decoration. And it won for uh, Supporting Actor with Sean Connery. This is his only Oscar nomination. Um, and obviously then his only win. Um, this is on uh, AFI's lists. Um, 100 Years, 100 Movies, 100 Years, 100 Thrills. Uh, this is nominated... Um, no, this is also on 100 Years, 100 Heroes and Villo- Villains, both the hero Elliot Ness, Ness and the villain um, Al Capone. This is nominated for 100 Years of Film Scores and nominated for 10 Top 10 Gangster Films. Um, I have seen this movie before, I think twice, maybe three times. Um, and not until college, though. Um, and it was kind of prompted by there's a couple of episodes that do it kind of it's kind of same thing about the sting though i feel like i've seen a couple like tv episodes just kind of parody like mm. the sting in kind of a bottle episode um uh and i saw i saw one for the untouchables and um saw, sought it out and was like yeah this seems like something i should watch especially being from near chicago um 
and being from supposedly right down the street where Al Capone had a summer house uh, growing up there. So nice. Um, yeah. Me growing up where he had a summer house before, way before I was born. Um, but uh, so I have seen this a couple times. Uh, and what about you, Robert? Um, I had never seen it. And I thought at first we were doing The Intouchables, which is a, a completely different movie that yep. I've also never seen. Um, this was kind of the case where you're just like, let's do The Untouchables. I said, okay. And that, that was the whole thing. And I saw uh, De Palma, Costner, De Niro, Garcia. And I said, okay, I'm in. Cool. Uh, despite your general lack of care for cop dramas, crime dramas. Yeah, I didn't realize it until like after last time we recorded and you were like, we're doing Untouchables next. And that's when I looked and saw what it was. And mm. I wasn't upset about it. It's just, yeah. oh, okay. Well, it'll be, I'll be in, I'm interested then. So uh, what do you think? Like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, think it's just okay? I'm going to put it right around the same as The Sting. So okay. like low side of liking it. Okay. Uh, definitely same thing. Didn't Didn't hate it, but it wasn't like anything transcendent for me. Uh, sure. There's certainly movies like this that I like a lot more. Yeah. Probably my first two times watching it, I'd have probably been on the low side of loved it. Uh, maybe really high side of liked it. Uh, right now, I'm just I'm just firmly in liked it. Um, definitely was a step down this time for me watching it. Uh, maybe it's because I was watching it with a different lens. Uh, maybe it's because the more I have grown up and the more I experience just more movies, the more I think that De Palma's really off his game in this movie. Um, hmm. as is a lot of things, uh, that we can talk about. Um, <coughs> excuse me, but, um, yeah, I, I'm just going to go right and liked it. Um, so where do you want to start? Can we start with Kevin Costner? Yes. Let's do that. Because please. I think Kevin Costner should only be in movies where he's a nice old dad so Molly's Game or Man of Steel, or he's playing baseball. Because I think he's totally out of place in this and Dances with Wolves, which I also okay. just watched recently. Um, I don't know. He just didn't work for me, and I had to uh, make a concerted decision at one point to be like, all right, stop worrying about how bad Kevin Costner is and just watch the movie for what it is. Yeah. Um, so I think that's where I want to start. Yeah, I uh, I never remembered him being either good or bad, but this time I was like, no, he's a, he's bad. He's really bad. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he was not right for this role in the slightest, um, and I don't think De Palma's helping him out at all. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, he's he's really bad. Um, and I actually have uh, a note: forty minutes in, and there are two glaring falls uh, of flaws. Uh, and that's Costner's acting um, because he's the star. Um, right. And he's just completely empathetic and. Unempathetic. Un- unempathetic. Yeah. Um, he's completely like lacking everything. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then also just editing. This movie is terribly edited specifically in transitions. And sometimes like the most annoying thing to me that I know, like my wife won't really pick up on is dubs. Um mm. And, uh, and I know older movies did it a lot more than newer movies do. Um, but like, you'll see, um, 
like if I see somebody like an over the over the shoulder camera shot and that person's supposed to be talking um and their and their, their jaws completely their jaws not moving uh, I can notice that and it just really grinds my gears um and but there's also some times too where it's just like there are frantic things and they didn't catch the audio well so they had mm-hmm. Costner go to a sound booth and say something and they just throw it in there and you're like literally nothing is matching it's just kind of chaos and um i get it it's it's a thing that we've just gotten better at uh and and great um i'm happy that we've gotten better at but uh the transitions i thought were terrible this uh like they go straight from like a really serious scene to like a super light one and then like straight into serious again and it's there's no like it's literally like the scene ends and there's no resolution to like a nice scene. And then it's like right into the scene where De Niro beats a guy's head in with the bat. And it's like mm-hmm. starting in, in his close up monologue and you tell like, Oh, this guy's about to do something bad. Um, it's just like, I, th- I thought, I-, I thought so much of it was just, just insanely bad, especially in terms of consistency and quality and tone. I, like, I'm already not a big De Palma fan. Um, so um, I really don't like Scarface. Uh, I, I think it's one I have on the goats list because I would be interested in revisiting it to see if I just didn't know what I was getting into. But uh... see, that's my thing is this is my first De Palma. Well, second, I've seen Mission Impossible. Uh, I don't like Mission Impossible. <laughs> yeah, it's I think bottom two for me uh, out of all of the Mission Impossible movies. Yeah, um, for sure. So yeah, I was excited to watch De Palma and. I'll actually go on the opposite end of the spectrum from what you were just saying. Okay. I honestly didn't notice any of the editing stuff, so I'm not going to disagree with you there, but I'm going to say that I did think a lot of the cinematography was really cool yeah. um, and, and really well done. So there's a lot of long takes. There's uh, the split diopter, which I always like to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the the POV break-in, I thought that was really fun. The um, At Sean Connery's... House. Yeah, Sean Connery's house. Yeah, I have where... that. That that long shot is is really well done. Right. Um, I, I like that a whole lot. Um, so I just wanted to call out that I think a lot of like the on set filmmaking was done well because what you were what you were just uh, referring to was all post production stuff. Um, sure. So what they did on set, I, I thought yeah, that was all. Yeah, really that, cool. that's a good distinction. The the stuff that has to happen after everything is shot just didn't didn't work for me. And I don't know if he was trying to make it look like it was made in 1930, because um, like that's definitely a artistic choice for filmmakers to do sometime. Or I just didn't know if he was trying to just get it out there because he had a deadline, or he wasn't quite sure how to make it work without it being longer than what it is. Um, so. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, I wasn't on set for the film. Uh, but, um, uh, thanks for clarifying that. Yeah. I also, I also like blowout. That's another one I've seen by him. I think blowout's fine. Mm. Blowout's really good. Uh, that's, I think on our list to maybe talk about at some point. Uh, but yeah, to me, the, the tracking shot, uh, at Connery's apartment is the, uh, is the highlight of this movie. Um, I know, I know a lot of times too, the baby carriage scene gets talked about too. Yeah. Chef's kiss. Uh, the baby carriage scene gets talked about too, but I just, I've always found it just to be over the top and completely ridiculous and just the most insane thing I can think of every time. (laughs) So that's interesting because that's the other specific scene that I wrote down where, Uh you know, 
people say, I didn't realize I was holding my breath or I didn't realize I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. But this was actually one where that whole train sequence, just Mm -hmm. the way it's all set up and edited. And um, I'm pretty sure there's some like parts with little to no score in there. Yes. Uh, That all worked really well for me. I really didn't realize I was holding my breath until that scene resolved itself. I mean, it's high tension, it's high intensity, but at the same time, like, I was just like, this is so outrageous and so ridiculous. And like, this could have already been a tense enough scene with six armed guys walking in to protect this banker, but now you're adding this mother. And it could have been just as intense with he finally helps up the mother, and then as she's leaving, he catches him. And you don't have the baby carriage going down the... There's no way that's an actual real-life thing that happened that they're trying to depict like there is absolutely no way um so that doesn't bug um, me as much whether or not it was real or anything like that well no but i'm saying like if it was a real story then i understand your reasoning for wanting to keep it in but gotcha yeah but like you could have just had him as he turns to walk the lady with the baby carriage out then he sees the guy with the broken the broken the guy with the broken nose sees him Mm -hmm. and you don't have the baby carriage going down the steps but you could still capture that intensity of He's bringing the the people up, and all of a sudden, his his mission is is activated. Um, yeah, uh, I, I also, did read afterwards that the the baby in the carriage was the stunt coordinator's baby, so nice. it it works. Well, and I was also He's thinking, like, him early. I was also thinking, like, what's the worst that happens if this carriage goes down some steps? Like it. it 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 wasn't flipping on the steps and like well if it gains momentum it, I it know. like rams into a wall or a pillar and the baby I mean that thing looked he- the thing looked heavy though like nothing was gonna tip that thing also like the bad guys straight up shoot through that carriage and yeah <laughs> it's just... anyway that uh, I my the note that I wrote for that scene was the baby carriage scene looks like something uh, out of a Zack Snyder film because <laughs> it's <laughs> there's so much slow mo everything is like jacked up to 11 you know <laughs> at least there's no poppy seed at least there's no slow motion pop close up of poppy seeds yeah um i want to talk about the music also, too oh um, that's what i was about to okay bring up. i love the score i think mm-hmm. it's the wrong freaking movie though <laughs> oh why uh like i, I kind of sometimes i think it works really well uh but sometimes i think it works terribly um, specifically like the scene where we're introduced to Al Capone after the barber one. So it's a second mm-hmm. time he's, he's in bed and all that. There's like this weird synthy romantic jazz song that's playing and it's totally out of place. I feel like half of the soundtrack is perfect for this movie and half of the soundtrack is so out of place and belongs somewhere else, but I still like the music. I just don't think mm-hmm. it f- fits with the, with the movie. Interesting. Cause I always get giddy when I see Ennio Morricone at the in like the opening credits I was like oh I'm in for some fun music and and I was you know it it was great and and again I I love love the soundtrack just think about half of it belongs somewhere else yeah so that's fair enough that's my opinion that's my opinion just a lot of times it was just like what is this doing here see I didn't get that impression at all like I can't right now like pull out uh, pull out of thin air what the the melodies were yeah. But I do know that I enjoyed listening to it the entire time. And sure. um, it was good enough that I wrote it at the end. Just I wrote down great score. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, since I took uh, took that, what's the next thing you want to hit on? Um, I don't know. I 
Other than Connery, I think the main casting in this movie is just off because De Niro preemptively did his best Christian Bale uh, impression. And I still only saw De Niro the whole time. Like he's doing his mouth thing and he's talking like De Niro. Like I wanted, I wanted him to be Al Capone and I'm not saying that there's something I have in mind for Al Capone, but he was just De Niro the whole time. And I feel like, especially when you're doing someone as notorious um, as Al Capone, you can't just do what you're famous for doing. And I generally love De Niro. Um, yeah. I just think he was a little bit miscast Look, for this. I think he's great in this. I think he does exactly what De Palma wants him to do, but it is, he, he wanted De Niro. Um, right. I really think the guy that plays him in Boardwalk Empire is great um, uh, and great at playing I've never him. seen it. Yeah, I've only seen like a couple episodes. It's on my list of Shane, but uh, um, I think I think he does a, a really great job in what I've seen. Uh, I, I really do like De Niro in this, though. Um, I, 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 he is a little bit much, and he is not quite as like he he is playing De Niro, not Capone, though. But I still I still uh, had a good time with him. Uh, and it's funny you were comparing him to like a preemptive Christian Bale. I was thinking he's like a preemptive Donald Trump because the moments where he's like, <laughs> because like the moments where he's like, I want him dead. I want his family. Like he's making the same motions. Like, mm. you know, like <laughs> uh, just, it was just a weird image in my head. I was like, okay. Uh, I was just thinking about the body transformation. That's all. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was just, I was just thinking about how like shoulder to elbow is like close to the body and the rest of it is, is, right. is moving. Yeah. So uh, uh, let's try to, try to, to try to audio, audioize that for the listeners. I'm making up words today. Um, audioize. Okay. Uh, so, so you really like Connery in this performance then? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's fun. I haven't seen, uh, he's another one. Like I haven't seen a ton of Sean Connery, but yep. it was fun to not see him do like the, again, charisma and swagger of James Bond and not kind of do like the fun slapstick of uh, Indiana Jones. Um, yeah. He did something special or different at least. And uh, it was, it was a serious performance and a serious movie. And mm-hmm. I don't know what else was nominated or who else was nominated that year, but I'm glad that Sean Connery got an Oscar win uh, in his, in his yeah. career because for as iconic of a actor and, and movie star he is, I think he deserves it just yeah. based on the three movies that I mentioned there. I've only um, seen how big uh, of a name he is. I've only seen league of extraordinary gentlemen. Um, the, all of his bond movies, except for like one, I think uh, I really love him in the rock. Um, and it may be his best role of all time is uh, uh, Henry Jones. Um, yeah. Indy, Indy's dad. And, uh, of course, he's iconic as Bond, and uh, he's gr- he's great in this movie, and he's great in Hunt for Red October too. Um, yeah, I I thought uh, I thought um, the, the scenes that were supposed to like get introduced to him, I thought he's excellent in, like the the setup scene where he's just a beat cop, and there's yeah, the yeah. like, hey, like he's on the like, bridge or whatever, throw it in the trash can right next to us, and yeah, next to you yeah. instead, you moron, and uh, and he's like. Uh, talking with him and is just like why why are you packing heat and he's just i'm a treasury officer he just walks away he's like you just could take my word for it he's like why would anybody claim to be a treasury officer mm-hmm. if they're not one? like i mean that's that's clever screenplay writing but that's also like he delivers it in such a way um yeah like uh 
that's really good. Also, his initial conversation with Andy Garcia at the shooting range. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do like Andy Garcia in this movie, by the way. He's the other yeah, one. I was yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you. Agree. Pretty, uh, pretty much a lot of the casting is is off. Um, uh, and and the 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 tax guy that's one of the untouchables. I like him too. Um, Was this is, is he the same after? guy from Raiders? Who the the, the, the tax, tax collector guy? guy? Yeah, or is it just? See, short, I've only seen Raiders one time, so I don't. I couldn't tell you. Okay, um, but what were you gonna say? Is this before or after God? This is before Godfather Three. Okay. Um, I was just trying to think about it in relation to Andy Garcia's career. That's all. Um, mm. I didn't really have anything to say about it. Just curious. Okay. Yeah. Um, trying to find. Uh, but the um, yeah. So I liked I liked those castings. Um, let's see here. Um, um, yeah, and his uh, but his his conversation with Andy Garcia. Um, where he's just like, yo, what's your real name? And like, you can't trust this guy. And all, then pulls a gun on him, and that was great. And then, uh, and then of course his uh, his death scene, where he turns around, and he's like, you just brought a knife to a gunfight. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, I know he says something different, but like, uh, you know, like that's the gist. Um, right. I, I his 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 death scene is way over the top, though. And again, like mostly on De Palma, maybe not on him. Like, I feel like it's just him wanting everything to be big. I mean, he literally cuts to the middle of an opera in his death, in, in the death scene. Like that's totally on De Palma. Um, yeah. <laughs> and he gets shot like 800 times in the, in the body. And so, then, and then he crawls as if all of those muscles are still perfectly intact. That's, that's just movies movieing, right? Know. Because I, yeah, I know. Like if he was if he was a nameless thug, then he would be dead. But that's what the movie needed him to do at that time, so he was still alive. Um, sometimes I give it a pass. Sometimes it's egregious, and I think this one was somewhere in the middle. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, mentioned... I, oh, I really like him. I just I also wonder, and I don't know what the competition was this year. Uh, I wonder if this was really more like a lifetime achievement Oscar as opposed to actually deserved it. Um, I think he's great in the role, but like Oscar winning, like maybe questionable. Um, but His I'm also is a little inconsistent. Yeah, I and I don't, that. I don't super care about that. Um, but it, it's just, um, I, don't, I, gosh, I don't know how much was like terribly special. Like, I'm happy that Sean Connery got an Oscar, um, uh, in his career. I'm really happy that he got one. Um, and this probably seems the most fitting for an Oscar. Um, but I couldn't quite wrap my head around just like, I feel like this is more like one of those lifetime achievement awards and he's done playing bond. He's been done playing bond and we owe a lot of that modern action, modern spy stuff to him. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It turns out this is a year for the Oscars that I just haven't seen next to anything. So I'm not even going to get into that. Uh, I, I do want to mention a couple of the themes that I did like, though. Yeah. Um, there's a line in there that I don't, I think uh, Costner says it. I don't remember who he says it to. Maybe it's voiceover. I don't remember. But he says some part of the world still cares what color the kitchen is. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, it just shows the dichotomy of what's going on in that criminal underworld trying to catch Al Capone. Um, but yet there's still the people that 
are just living life day to day. That's the biggest part of their worries is, hey, let's paint the kitchen and not, I'm putting my life on the line every day to catch this notorious sure. gangster. Sure. Um, I like that. And then I also liked, um, even though I didn't love the costume performance, I loved like his character story. Um, I don't, I'm not happy about it, but I like what it's saying. Yeah. Uh, so like at the beginning, he wants to play everything by the rules and, and only do things the right way. Um, but then by the end, he's got, <clears throat> by the end, he's got to compromise his morals, uh, break the rules here and there because he realizes in his line of work, uh, or at least he comes to the conclusion that in his line of work, sometimes the ends have to justify the means. Uh, so it's kind of a, moral deconstruction of, of his character. And I, I like the exploration of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but I, I almost took the way that he throws that guy off the roof more so as a just sudden impulse rather than like anything meditated. And like he had plenty of time to meditate on it when the guy was crawling up um, and he wanted to do it, but he chose not to do it, which just makes it feel more like it was just a, a random impulse for him to throw him off the roof as opposed to, um, you know, actually believing it, it felt more like a personal vendetta as opposed to um, this, you know, this guy's going to just walk free and he's a hitman for the mob. And so it's probably better that he's off the street. Um, so, uh, which that scene is super intense, by the way, that's, that's probably the main sequence for me. Um, sure. The top one. Um, but at the same time, I like the the character from the beginning of the movie probably still would have put him in handcuffs and brought him to jail. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, because it's all about that book. And I mean, the very last line of this movie, by the way, this is a perfect ending um, mm-hmm. that, hey, uh, you know, right as soon as all this conflict's on, like, hey, I, you hear they're about to probably repeal prohibition. And he's like, oh, okay. Like, well, what are you going to do? He's like, guess i'll have a drink then like yeah um it's just such a perfect ending of him like especially like the way his character is like you never really get his stance on prohibition like you get his stance on like he's when he tells the cops he's like you got to stop because it's illegal and our job is to uphold the law and we have to lead by example but you never get the sense that he is personally for or against prohibition he's just for upholding the law like you said right exactly and uh um but so it's just one of those nice. He's doing his job. His job is to uphold the law. Prohibition is is law. So his job is to stop the flow of alcohol, regardless of how he might personally feel about it. And um, and but it almost is just like I've served my time, and now it's time for a new chapter in my life. So yeah, it's I. It's not important really how he feels about prohibition because yeah, like you and I have both said. It's illegal, or alcohol is illegal, so he's going to prosecute it. Yeah, um, yeah. Some some of those themes and and uh, and messages and things like that. Um, some of the little lines that he says, um, I think uh, I think stuck out to me a little bit more this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's of course the Sean Connery saying two or three times, like, "What are you going to do?" Like, right, and and like that's just provoking him to to do bad. And I don't. It's 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 a weird time. Like, I don't. I don't really know how much I want to encourage, like even before you know the events of the last year and uh, yeah. and all that. But like, I don't, I don't know how much I want to, be, you know. I get in some cases, yeah, taking down a crime syndicate like Al Capone, like if the rules need to be bent a little bit, you know, that's that's kind of a morally gray area. 
uh, or completely broken. You know, that's kind of a morally gray area. But like, you know, I feel like this movie is rah rah, good guys win, and they murdered a bunch of people and broke a bunch of laws in the process. Well, so. yeah, yeah. I guess we could totally get into that, but uh, I would have to watch it again and think about it. To- I mean, he just straight up murders that last guy. Like that's right. for sure a murder. Um, so. And and I think the movie is glorifying that. The movie wants us to throw him off, but and he's got that really sweet line, like, "Oh, where's that guy? He's in the car." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And ab- you're right. That's a whole discussion that I'm not. I'm not quite sure I'm prepared to have either. Um, but it's just I feel like the more he's, movie's kind of glorifying that that it's it's just complicated. Uh, maybe it wasn't complicated in 1987. Um, right. Uh, is this a goat? I'm still going to say no for this one also. Uh, if you'd asked me yesterday, I said, yeah, but I'm going to say no today. Um, I, kind of where I am with this thing. It's, 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 I respect this, some of this movie, uh, parts of this movie. Um, but this is not a respectable. No, this is just a no. Um, there are better crime dramas like LA confidential and there are better um, cop stories and there are better movies in this era. Uh, I think lawless is pretty underrated. Um, like there's a lot of, a lot of better at what this does, uh, but I do, uh, I do still enjoy this movie. I do still like it. I still watch it um, quite a few times. I, I think we would be remiss to just not repeat that they took down Al Capone for tax evasion. That always just, <laughs> yeah, it's just I don't know. It makes me just go, wow. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, out of all the stuff that he's done, he did in his life, right. tax evasion is what they were actually able to get him on. Well, and out of all the things he's done in his life, out of all the things, uh, all the people that he backstabbed, he dies from syphilis. <laughs> like, Yeah. Yeah. Life's weird. Right. Life's weird and sometimes cool. Um, on the next goats, uh, in a, in a week we'll be, or a month. Wow. Not a week. I don't have time for that. Uh, in a month <laughs> we'll be, uh, we'll be d- talking about cinema paradiso and, uh, Shadow of a Doubt, the 1943 Hitchcock version. Uh, by the way, I think I think Hitchcock did this one twice. Um, the 1943 version is the one we'll be doing, and Cinema Paradiso. Uh, so that'll be next month. Uh, Robbie, have you any? Uh, I doubt you've had any changes in your top goat this week. No, nope, it's still um, Arsenic and Old Lace. Got it. Yep, I'm still LA Confidential. Um, I didn't anticipate that to change. Um, and especially since we both said low side, I liked it. Yeah. These, these stack somewhere along the middle. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, do I, you, I snuck do you them prefer, into my rankings and they were at the bottom. Towards yeah, do the bottom. You, okay. Do you prefer one of these over the other? I mean, you said they were both low side. I liked it. Like right, right about probably there. Probably a sting. A, okay. Just because it's lighter and there's enough like dark crime dramas of taking down a, organized crime like i'd rather watch goodfellas or casino or godfather or anything like that yeah i'm good with that i'm good with that um I'm, yeah and i pretty sure i had this movie like towards like my hundred of my top 100 favorite movies of all time and i'm unfortunately gonna make a an edit on my list delete um, i i i think i prefer this one to the sting um so uh, just just slightly given the edge though. All right. B plot, Robert. Similar to last month, where we took uh, writer director combos, and I had you change the director. Screenplay had to stick, change the same. 
Uh, we're going to do a flippity flop. So um, catch you on the flippity flop. Uh, well, we're going to take a writer director's work um, and we are going to change the screenwriter. So the director has to stay the same and the movie has to stay the same. It's, you have to change the screenwriter. Um, I guess like movie doesn't have to be exactly the same, but still same concept. Um, so um, I have five. How many do you have? Four. And there's only one that I really believe in. Okay. I'm I, was, gonna... I struggled with this one, like I told you before we started recording. Okay. Uh, let me start off then. Um, I'll start. I'll kick us off. And I will start off with the one that I'm the least confident in. Okay. Um, Brad Bird's The Incredibles 2, written by Shane Black. Um, and here's, here's why. Um, this is really the only one I'm not confident. I'm not super confident. Here's why. I think The Incredibles 2 is a fine movie, but not a Incredibles great movie. 2. Incredibles 2, specifically. I think The Incredibles 2 is a fine movie. It's not a great movie. It's nowhere near the quality of the first one. I think uh, it follows a lot of the same patterns that the first one does, and it just felt like a rehashed version. Um, mm-hmm. So I want I want a little bit of a spark of creativity. I want somebody who I think can can do some like old timey superhero stuff in a cartoonish fashion. Uh, and but I, but I still do want Brad Bird directing The Incredibles too. There's absolutely nobody else I want directing an Incredibles movie besides uh, Brad Bird. Um, so I think, I think, uh, just getting, getting Shane Black touch in there, uh, would do, I, I almost put Pete doctor just cause he's so good at things, but it's like, I just, he doesn't quite have that vibe. He's more of you know, yeah. inside out monsters, Inc. Um, soul kind of stuff. So, uh, so Shane Black writing the Incredibles two, still directed by Brad Bird. Cool. Uh, I'll take one of my middle ones. I'm not going to go with my, uh, extra silly one or my one I'm super confident about. So. I'm going to say First Reformed, written by Martin Scorsese. Ooh. Um, because I really like First Reformed. See, I like First Reformed. Okay. Uh, and I think the writing is where it loses me a bit. Okay. It's interesting. I, Scorsese I has... His faith-based films are some of my... like Two of my top three favorites of his, so Silence and Last Temptation of Christ. Yeah, or two of my top threes, um, with The Departed being the other one in there. Um, and Last Temptation was written by Paul Schrader, who wrote and directed First Reformed. Yeah. Um, but Scorsese wrote Silence, so they definitely make a good team. But I'd just be interested to see how it would it would work when you flip who does what role. Um, and Scorsese definitely has the writing abilities. Um, and the interest in the spiritual and like the uh, the climate aspect of it all. So yeah, I'd just be interested interested to see how that would all work out. Uh, I would one hundred percent see that one hundred percent. Cool. I, I really like First Reformed, uh, and I think there's a lot to admire about that movie. And uh, it's one I probably need to go back and see. But yeah, given that extra touch, um, I think it would be something special. Okay. Um, all right. Here we go. Um, the the rest of these four I really believe in, and uh, I'm I'm gonna yeah. go ahead and give the one that just doesn't work out um, uh, uh, timeline wise. Um, oh, just okay. one. The, the rest of them will work out. Like could have done it the year it released. Uh, this one just won't. 
the Wachowskis, Matrix Revolutions, um, also Reloaded, but like if you make me pick one, Revolutions, uh, written by Damon Lindelof. So, I th- okay, I see my you thi- thinking. <laughs> yeah, my thing is that I've never seen the Matrix sequels. I've only seen the first Matrix. Okay, um, um, t- to say the least, they don't stick the landing. That's um, basically why I've never watched them because that's the prevailing. But, idea. but they're but they're still very stylized, very well shot, things like that. Um, and so I thought, who is a sci-fi person that sticks the landing for me? And unpopular opinion, Damon Lindelof. Um, I really like yeah, Prometheus. Yeah. I, I obviously love HBO's Watchmen. Um, I've seen. I loved pretty much everything I've seen him in, and I just thought, like, what if you could let him be a driving force for expanding that world? Um, so again, timeline doesn't quite work out because he's just starting his career and, um, mm-hmm. it, you know, had done not really anything. Uh, uh, really lost is where he kicked it off, uh, and that was like two thousand four, I think. So yeah, around that um, time. So the uh, the Matrix sequels were I think two and three, um, but yeah, uh, Damon Lindelof. Uh, I I thought about putting somebody else in there, but I have him elsewhere that I think would be probably better. Um, so yeah, uh, people may hate me because they hate Lindelof, but um, and and I said that he sticks the landing, but you know, the after Rise of Skywalker, I'm pretty sure JJ's more of the problem with Lost. <laughs> Yeah, but but I, I like don't the lost have ending. as much of a problem with Lost. Anyway, yeah, I really uh, like the I'd be interested ending. to see that. I'm I'll I'm gonna watch the real versions of Matrix before, before the fourth the one comes out one or before the fourth one comes out. Yeah. Um. So then I'll reevaluate your <laughs> your thing by then. Okay. Um, my next one. This is a fun one that could actually potentially work out, and it's Quentin Tarantino writing Knives Out. Um. Oh. Okay. Tarantino, he, I don't think since like the late '90s has he written something that he didn't direct, because he finally got like the clout that he needed to direct his own stuff. Um. So this would never happen today, but I would be interested to see because I he he's able to play within genre really well. Okay. Um. He's able to play within crime well, uh, and I would—I know it's a much different movie than what it actually is if it, if if it's written by Tarantino. Um, but at the same time, I'd be interested to see what kind of edginess he would bring to it. I don't think it would be as deep as Ryan Johnson's version is, yeah. but I think it might be just as, if not more, uh, entertaining. If you're a fan of Tarantino, that is. Uh, I would love to see that. Uh, I do not think it would be better than the Ryan Johnson version, but um, no, I, 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 I think that would be very interesting for sure. Yeah, this uh, is kind of what, what I, where I was with these. Is like, yeah, this wouldn't make it better, but I'd be interested to see it. Yeah, well, and it's really hard because honestly, most of the time, writer directors tend to make good movies. Um, or really terrible ones, and we don't talk about them or think about them. Yeah. Stay All right. Um, let's see here. Um, all right, I'm going to go ahead and stick with my sci-fi route. Uh, this is the person that I almost picked to rewrite Matrix. Um, James Cameron's Avatar, mm-hmm. written by Alex Garland. Interesting. Oh, I love Alex Garland, and 
I haven't seen Avatar in 12 years. So Neither have um, I, but there's a reason for that. So, right, maybe if, if it was written by good old Alex Garland, yeah. um, I would have seen it more. Well, and again, movie that I want James Cameron in the director's chair for. Mm-hmm. I just want somebody else propelling that story forward. Right. With the, with the narrative that Cameron gets to work with. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm there for it. Okay, cool. Um, should I save my best or worst for last? <laughs> uh, save your best for last, because I'll, I'll have my best for last. Okay, so this is my silly one that is just like... Okay. No one actually wants to see this, but... Okay. Shawshank Redemption. Oh my god. <laughs> you're going to uh, say like Uwe Boll or something like that. <laughs> directed by Frank Darabont. Written by Tommy Wiseau. Oh my god, that was along the same line. Um, I wanted to find a drama because <laughs> that's what the room is trying to be. Um, man, I really wanted it to be American Beauty, but it, that wasn't a writer-director combo. Oh, yeah, no, that was not written by Sam Mendes. No, but... Um, I, I think this would be just as hilarious as The Room. Um, if not worse. Look, because... look, now that you're saying this, I really want to see this. But but if it means we don't get the Shawshank we have, under no circumstances do I want to see it. Yeah, it's obviously. But at the same time, if, if we get to remake it with like a new... like With like Greg Sestero as Andy <laughs> Dufresne. And Tommy is red. Yeah, <laughs> you better get li- busy living or dying. <laughs> so just make it as terrible as possible. Take all your worst nightmares and multiply it by like 15. Yeah. And there you go. Yeah, I'll have trouble sleeping tonight. All right. Um, My second, uh, gosh, I don't know. I, Maybe not the second one I'm most proud of. The last one uh, that I have before my amazing one, I think, is uh, Paul Greengrass's Jason Bourne, written by Mark Bull. Who's Mark Bull? He wrote Zero Dark Thirty, The Hurt Locker, and Detroit. Okay. Uh, so he's so Catherine Cat- Bigelow. So he's Catherine Bigelow's person. Uh, look, Jason Bourne is not a good movie, but I'm like okay with uh, wanting that franchise to continue in some mm-hmm. sort of way. Um, and I think you know Paul Greengrass has. Um, you know, that visionary for where that, uh, how that, how that movie wants to be, but you put somebody in there that can craft a story, um, like Mark Bull can, you know, um, yeah. Boal, maybe, I don't know, B-O-A-L. Um, yeah, uh, get a, get a better, tighter, more tense screenplay writer and still hand it off to, uh, to Paul Greengrass. And I'm totally here for that movie. Yeah. I'm there for it as well. Um, this is my last one and the one that I feel like would actually make the movie better. And that is Tenet written by Jonathan Nolan. Um, this oh, isn't like, this yeah. isn't too out of the realm of possibility or anything like that. Yeah. Jonathan Nolan, Christopher's brother, um, was a writer on interstellar, the prestige and memento. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think those are some of the best character work done in a Nolan movie. Yeah. Um, Apart from Inception, actually. Well, but, I think he sometimes gets like story credit, even if he doesn't get screenplay credit. Right. Uh, but in Tenet, 
the reason that Tenet is very bottom tier Nolan for me is just because I couldn't connect to any of it. Yep. Like I can watch it. I'll, I'll probably watch it a lot. Um, I like doing Nolan rewatches every once in a while and yeah. I'm not going to be like, Oh no, I have to watch Tenet now, but it could have sure. reached the levels of something like inception. Well, yeah. I don't know. Inception's God tier, but it could have reached yeah. higher levels. If, if there was something more, it could have reached, it could have reached memento tier. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So that's all I wanted. I just wanted something to connect to because literally all it was was the world is ending. Let's make it not end. Well, and there's no personal connection. And I also feel like Jonathan Nolan would dumb it down the slightest bit to make it a little bit more understandable. Yeah, yeah, Um, exactly. So uh, slightest bit. Okay, um, I'm really proud of this one. Uh, And it's it's ballpark left field. Um, But I have a reason. M. Night Shyamalan's Split, written by Damien Chazelle. <laughs> All right, here's the reason okay. why I picked Damien Chazelle. He's the screenplay writer for 10 Cloverfield Lane. Oh. Which is that. totally out of left field for everything else that he's done. Mm-hmm. He, he did a horror movie that I can't remember off the top of my head. He did 10 Cloverfield Lane and uh, um, uh, and, and, and like was doing Whiplash. Uh, so I, I don't I think he was one of two screenplay writers on Ten Cloverfield Lane, but like, I, look I I think Split's a fine movie, but it could have been great. Um, yeah, and uh, uh, I think we look on it better because it has that awesome cameo at the end. Um, and a cameo doesn't make a movie. Uh, I would love to see Damien Chazelle writing Split. See, I look on like the positive that I look at Split with is the McAvoy performance, um, and just yeah, not really yeah. much around it so yeah i'm i'm with you i'd love to see yeah. giselle making like a tighter screenplay you can still connect it to unbreakable if you want yep. but just make it better more well, like better written well and then also add the intensity they can, that he can bring with something like whiplash mm-hmm. um uh and also add the intensity uh or the the emotions that he can bring out with something like first man um yeah, I would you I, recast the bald man with J.K. Simmons? <laughs> uh, no, I, I think, like I said, I think you, I think, uh, I think McAvoy's terrific. Um, yeah, and uh, casting is not the problem with that movie. Anya Taylor Joy is great. Um, the the friend mm-hmm. that I can't remember, um, oh, the no. blonde girl, uh, she's uh, Haley Lou Richardson. Yes, her, uh, she's great too. Um, casting is not the problem with that movie. Uh, it's it, it's yeah, it's sort of there's. There's not too much outside of McAvoy and what he's got going on. Um, yeah. So, yep. Awesome. Hey, uh, next month, do you want to do? Uh, do you want to keep this going? I could think of one more topic that we could do with this. Um, take a take a writer director combo and give them a different movie with a writer director combo. So, like, take a Ryan Johnson and a Christopher Nolan, and like they have the different. I mean, you don't necessarily have to swap them together, but like, you know. If you t- if you replace one of the two, you essentially say like Ryan Johnson's Interstellar instead of right. Christopher Nolan's. You want to do that? Yeah, why not? Sure, cool. So has to so movies that are um, still writer director combo. Hmm. Yeah, still st- Christopher Nolan's Lego Movie. Yeah, we'll keep it. We'll keep it. Uh, still has to be writer director combo. Um, and you have to swap it with somebody to write and direct. Um, so even if they haven't necessarily written and directed, I think, uh, 
if you believe they are legitimately capable of doing so. Cool. Um, to kind of to kind of ease it a little bit, but I will probably still stick to just writer directors. Yeah. Awesome. And then we'll wrap out and we'll never do this again because <laughs> um, I don't know how you can get more creative with this. Right. Uh, so. Uh, cool. Well, that means it's time for the spinoff. Robert, what is that one thing in pop culture that you really want to tell everybody to watch or to avoid? Uh, I know you prefer when people say avoid because everyone says to watch, but I have a, a recommendation. I don't. I don't um, necessarily prefer. You just. Know? You just like when you hear. A, I just, yeah. Avoid. I like. Um, I like when you tell me, "Hey, don't waste your time on this." Yeah. Well, I know this is a movie you've seen, so it's not necessarily for you. But this is what I've watched recently that I really like. I've been going. Or I've been trying to go back um, and see some best picture winners that I haven't seen mm-hmm. uh, in the lead up to the Oscars, which are soon. Uh, and I watched The Artist for the first time. Oh, and it's on Netflix, and yeah. I and it's nice and short. So I said, might as well. And man, it was so much better than I was expecting. Yeah, um, people people really crap on this movie because they're like, it's old black and white, and Hollywood loves that stuff, and that's why it won. But like, no, it's legitimately good. Yeah, it's so much fun, um, for one thing, and it actually has something to say, uh, and it has an adorable dog. I, yep. I wrote in my letterbox review, it's quite best possibly the best all-time dog um, in a movie. Um, I don't think the black and white and silent movie of it all is a gimmick. I think it's no. actually using it very effectively to say, uh, to make its point. Yeah. Um, the the acting is great. I'm not upset about the best the best actor uh, win by Jean Dujardin. I'm Jean Jardin. Absolutely butchering the, the French. So there you I, go. I'm probably butchering it too. That's how I've heard it said. I apologize, Jean. Um, so yeah, I it was great. It's it's worth a watch. It's not like painful. Like oh, this is an old timey movie. It's like no, it's right. just a lot of fun. Yeah. It's, it's delightful. Uh, don't let the black and white or the silent fool you. And, like, look, this movie doesn't work if the music isn't as good as it is. But the music is That's just it, yeah. exceptional. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Cool. Oh, and John Goodman. You know, he's great. Yeah, I honestly, I only ever knew it was a French actor and director. I didn't know that there were any Hollywood stars in there. Yeah. So, all of a sudden, there's John Goodman and James Cromwell. And I was like, oh, all right. Cool. Uh, I'm going to recommend a board game, actually. Um, This is the first. Um, There is a game that you can find. I found it at Target. Um, You can find it's about $16.99, I think. Uh, It's Blockbuster, the board game. Um, It comes in a box that's like one of those VHS rental boxes that you would have picked up at Blockbuster. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's all nostalgia. Uh, Everything about the appearance of everything. Um, I'll tell you briefly about the way this movie with this game works. By the way, there is an expansion too called Blockbuster Returns, um, and uh, and you can uh, you can check it out and uh, and add it. And I have it, and I do think it's worth getting. Uh, it's only like six bucks for the expansion, um, but when I bought it initially, it didn't have the expansion available. So the way this works is um, you get a parking lot as your board, and it has a little like Blockbuster tower that you set up in the middle of it. That's totally useless, but it's fun. Uh, and they and they send you a buzzer and a bunch of cards, um, and you get it's it's a it's a two team game. You can have however many people on each team as you want. Uh, it's a two, but it's just a two team game, uh, and you select somebody from each team um, to uh, battle in head to head battles. 
Um, and so once you go, you can't go again until everybody else is gone. Um, and so somebody um, reads the card and then you um, you push push the buzzer um, uh, once you have something to say. And it might be movies that start with M or movies that have magic or movies that are based off of books or movies that are based off of real life or things like that. And you mm-hmm. have to say them. Uh, and then I limit like one per franchise and things like that. So um, so wh- the, the whoever wins the head to head they get to draw six cards uh, and then here's where the main game goes. So they just get the advantage of first look. Um, they get to take six cards and pick the three that they want because, and then give the three to the person that loses. Uh, and so the way it works is a turn-based game where, um, by the way, it's like 15 seconds between each on the head to head. You get 30 seconds. Um, you pick a movie that you want somebody to, that you want your team to guess by only using one word. Um, so the example that I always think of is like, uh, I was playing with my wife and somebody said lycanthrope and I had no idea what that means. And my wife said, Oh, that's a werewolf. I'm like, okay. So it's American werewolf in London. And like, how did you get that? It's like, cause it's the only werewolf movie. Um, anyway, nice. um, or, or you can quote it. Um, and the rules have where you don't actually have to use a quote. I say, just pull up IMDB. It's not hard. Um, yeah. and, uh, and, and then the other one is you have to act it out. Uh, no words, um, nothing like that. Um, so it's at your advantage. You want to pick, be able to pick the first three. Uh, and there are, I think, 12 total. If you have the expansion genre categories, you have to collect one of each genre in order to win the game. So there's comedy, family, animation, um, all-time classics, um, reboots and remakes, heart warmers, um uh drama bunch of genres it's a really fun time yeah. uh, it's a really good party game i 100% recommend it sounds so. like a fun game yeah so nice. on that note that's a wrap uh quick reminder that pop writers room is part of the studio dna network you can check out other great shows at studiodna.media. If you're interested in writing for SifPop.com, you want to get in contact with us, send us a question to explore during the B-plot. Then you can email us at writersroom at SifPop.com or get in contact with us at Twitter. You can DM me at Castle, or go ahead and uh, uh, get in contact with the SifPop Twitter page. Um, find me on Letterboxd, uh, on Letterboxd at Castle as well. And uh, while you're doing things, go ahead and rate us on iTunes. That would be really helpful. Uh, give us that five-star push. And uh, if you want to write something uh, that I will see, then uh, um, that would be lovely. I love reading <laughs> things. Uh, but that's uh, that's ways to connect. Robert, where do you want to send people? Uh, just to sifpop.com, uh, to my Twitter, underscore Rob's Thoughts, and to my website, roberts-thoughts.com. Also, if you want to hear Robert and I's pre Oscar talk. I know oh, this yeah. episode will come out after the Oscars, but if you want to hear our pre-Oscar thoughts on lots of things, not just this year limited, uh, then go to Rob's Thoughts Movie Cast. Find that yes, somewhere. And and this and that. But Robert, hey, as always, it's been awesome having you on. Really appreciate you. Yeah, always love being on. Sweet. Well, we'll do it again in a month then. It'll be good. And we'll talk about Cinema Paradiso and Shadow of a Doubt. But until then, gotta go watch the Oscars. <laughs>